0: Welcome to the Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and well, a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Korbel, and today I'm stoked to have Josh Miller in the podcast studio. Josh has nearly 13 years of experience in the lighting industry, where it all started at the University of Colorado. Go, buffs! currently josh is an illuminating engineer at acuity brands and he's working on a variety of things like their new product rena and also this new technology or is it new called virtual reality josh welcome to the podcast how the heck are you doing
1: i'm doing great thanks for having me how are things um they're great i think it's an incredibly transformative time in history right now and on many levels and i'm great to be part of just A small tiny piece of it
0: take me back to who Josh Miller is and how did you get your start in lighting
1: really I think lighting personalities like mine when people are searching for a balance of things like design and engineering but also want to be creative you kind of find this common thread of uh, type of people and I feel like I just kind of fell into that bucket of wanting to be creative and do great things and also hopefully get paid for it. <laughs> so Yeah, getting paid is definitely a good thing. It helps, yeah.
0: You went to CU, did a little bit of uh, lighting education there, and mm. then you were a designer straight out of school.
1: Yeah, yeah, I worked at Architectural Engineering Design Group, learned a ton about lighting and uh, electrical engineering, which was a great foundation for kind of where I'm at right now, at the Luminaire Concept Center here in Denver. Since then, did a little stint in, at Cooper as a product manager, that was fun. Now, uh, at the Lumera Concept Center, you kind of had a little more freedom to do things that are uncomfortable and explore and maybe take a little more time to figure out. Today, you know, there's kind of this long journey, but I think along this whole time, even as a line designer, I, I feel like I spent a lot of my time and effort trying to communicate very difficult things to people. There was, was like this communication aspect um, that was missing, so a lot of times, There was a lot of effort spent into creating the perfect image that said, this is this is what I want that design to look like Um, and and trying to get everyone on board with that idea and get the things out of my head onto paper, or some media that will allow people to understand what that is. Well, what's really great now is we kind of work in Moving on with the new technologies and everything with virtual reality, I'm at now I'm actually able to create that space and create that experience and be able to communicate that what's in my head in a very short amount of time, um, which is really incredible.
0: I tell you what, I think virtual reality is something that there's a long conversation to be had about, but I want to set kind of the ground rules here. And let's be honest with ourselves for a second. Lighting is physical and modeling it is something that's kind of always been a challenge from the standpoint of, you know, calculation software and 3D renderings and actual dynamic range and and things like that. Where are we today and and what has this industry been able to create from, you know, the Lumen method calculation to kind of help us along the way, but what's it still missing?
1: Great question. And I think when you look at all the information you have available to create a design. So if you go onto any lighting manufacturer's website and you're looking for a product, you have IES files, which are uh, representative of what the lights distribution is, uh, maybe some images of products. And then you also have some Revit files. And these kind of give you some basic building blocks of how you're going to design a space and and provide some uh, feedback as you design that space of of kind of about what it's going to look like, about what the light levels are going to be, and gives you some of that information. I think there are some key aspects that we are missing, though, that um, we haven't been able to communicate very well with the current media without actually physically getting a fixture or actually doing a full-blown installation and reviewing it. The first thing is just the overall visual luminance of a fixture, especially, you know, aside from, you know, say, flat panels, which are relatively uniform. If you have very complex uh, products that have highly variable luminance as you move around the product, as as you pick it up and look at it, there's quite a bit of information there that influences the impact of that light fixture in a space and that we really don't have a great way to communicate with those basic tools
0: give me just like two examples of that real quick
1: so the first one would be a downlight. so a lot of times it's important to understand the flash is coming off the reflector as you move around that downlight. So, as an IES files you could kind of get an idea of the distribution and maybe glare and stuff like that, but you don't really have an idea that the flash is kind of coming from the top down of the reflector, from the bottom up, or if it's just. There's a lot of uh, color separation or something like that. You don't have a lot of information about what's actually happening to the reflector of a downlight as you move around it. Another one is actually these these pendants that you have in front of us, uh, which are it's not a great example because no one else can see them.
0: That's okay. <laughs> well, I mean, we can talk yeah, about them. Talk. It's a 3D printed pendant. It's some sort of translucent material that's got curves and waves
1: and stuff like that in it. And it's just got an A-lamp screwed into the inside of it. It's quite nice to look at. And as you move around it, you know, the bottom, you can kind of see some geometry in the bottom. You can see all the details. As you get close, you can see the the 3D printed material and the, the details that that has. Um, there's also a variation in thickness um, that kind of gives you some different luminance compositions uh, across the whole surface. And so you can see an image of this and you could probably get a pretty decent idea of what's what this will look like once you install it. But once you actually start moving around it, it's it's quite complex. And if you look at like an IES file for this, it'll probably just be uh, very similar as if it were just a glowing ball, <laughs> um, which isn't a isn't a bad thing. It just doesn't give you the information you need that shows the complexity of this aesthetic.
0: Because up to this point, we've basically had a, a means and methods of testing luminaires in light sources.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's based around far-field photometry. It's based around saying, This is what the light looks like in terms of the shape of the light that comes out of it but it doesn't give you any real visual representation of how you can interact with that and that's that's definitely something that's that's always been missing from Mm -hmm. the ability to do a a real-time render a real-time lighting design maybe is that Mm -hmm. is that a good word is real time a good word i don't
1: know i think i think you want to have something that's representative of what you see in real life in the end there have been methods in the past that have kind of been similar to like taking a bunch of pictures of a fixture at different angles to give some sort of representation of what the luminous composition is. Um, But really, there's this movement that you have throughout a space, like if I'm walking through a space and I move, it's actually capturing that movement as we kind of grow to more and more complex uh, lighting solutions and, and environments it's it's all about an experience over time versus um, just a flat static snapshot you know when we introduce tunable whites or any sort of color changing anything like that or like the fixture that we did with Rubik was a very difficult thing to kind of explain to people because this is it was a very dynamic fixture the whole point of it was to be visually dynamic and change over time without impacting the space but to actually show that with a lot of the media it was very difficult to communicate that um uh, in a in a manner where people could appreciate that that aspect of it
0: when you say show it i mean it was is physically getting somebody to understand how nine cells could be different colors, but based on what one color was next to another one, it created, I believe you guys called it dynamic contrast or Uh, simultaneous
1: contrast. Thank you,
0: simultaneous contrast to the point where it would look one way if you saw it by itself, but because it was next to something else, it created a new illusion. You're almost tricking your eye to believe it was something that it actually wasn't.
1: Mm -hmm. And the appearance of gray light. And I think what was interesting about that is that really the best way to experience that product was to have it installed in a ceiling and to be underneath it and to be looking at a piece of paper and saying, "Hey, there's nothing happening down here," but then you look up and you say, "Well, that fixture is changing quite a bit." Yeah, <laughs> um, and, 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 and was, how do you do that with a photometric calculation tool today? It, exactly, and and, and and from a photometric perspective, it it was constant, but visually, the luminance aspect of it was not, and that and that was a bit of information that we. Don't quite have the tool sets to to communicate yet. I,
0: I want to dive in just a little bit more on what it means to see numbers and calculations on paper versus get that visual experience and talk about it in terms of design, just for a minute, because lighting design very much is twofold. Mm-hmm. We need light in a space. Uh, there's a there's a big old handbook, the IAS handbook that has recommended light levels, and then there's organizations, there's medical documents, there's codes and standards that say you need X amount of light, but that's is that 50% of design today? Is that just, you know, the icing on the cake and it's really about the visual experience. Talk to me a little bit about how you see design as being a twofold visual versus numbers game.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I, I think, um, I think a lot of people's, uh, in general, you know, not non lighting people say their intuition is highly visual. It's all about what things look like. And and they may not even realize that they're they're being guided along a journey through a building or something like that. But it's intuitive in nature and, and how that actually works if it's done well. Boy, I don't even know the percentages, especially now <laughs> it's, as things change, you know, and, and maybe, you know, maybe we move away from open offices or something like that. How does that change in the industry? It's all a good question. I, I think there, there are definitely the minimum requirements and, and obviously you have to have people be able to exit buildings safely and, and travel through spaces safely. But I think as we start to move Towards you know a lot a lot of the information that we consume is on a screen for example um, so like uh, you know our tablets our phones our computer monitors a lot of the tasks and uh, well mostly speaking of an office space versus you know more task oriented spaces like a restaurant where you just where you need a good cutting surface <laughs> don't want to lose any limbs there or anything when everything is a screen. Then the actual light on that screen isn't quite as critical to the space. So what becomes the next hierarchy of visual importance? It's reading, how to orient a space, how to how to see facial expressions, how to understand how you know when you're talking to someone how someone actually reacts to your words and stuff like that. There's a
0: visual hierarchy. Yeah, you have to meet means, methods, and requirements of lighting design, mm-hmm. and then there's an opportunity to address what needs to be led in the space, mm-hmm. but you know, back to the pendants hanging above our heads, back to what the reflector actually looks like in the space. Mm-hmm. That is something that really, I think until technology continues to evolve, it is very much a requirement of give me a sample or walk into a space and see it installed. It's very, very difficult to find that final way of demonstrating the capabilities of a luminaire or a lighting design without A, either mocking it up, Mm-hmm. Which you'll hear every lighting designer say, that's the best way mm-hmm. to do my job is to mock it up because it's true, right? There's a dynamic component that you simply can't document mm-hmm. or experience it in a virtual world. Yeah. I, I
1: mean, am I crazy? No, I, I think there's there's a lot of great opportunities now from a virtual perspective. And now that gives you the opportunity to light a space based on how it looks and balancing out all that stuff in a, in a highly visual and intuitive manner. And then you more or less adjust the lumen level to get what you need to meet those safety requirements and, and all the other requirements. But you can really focus on nailing how it looks first. It's a huge opportunity for how we approach the design and possibly a way to increase the efficiency of how we actually light the space and get buy off from uh, the various customers along the way, um, where the, whether it's the architect or, or the end user or the owner. Well, you know what? I
0: think you've got um, a little bit here and there's a lot to talk about when it comes to that virtual presence. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into what it means to design with lighting in a virtual space. Sound good? Sounds great. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick, the LightPod is brought to you by LightEye. A hub for ideas, education, and entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. They bring you things like this podcast and break down complicated things in simple to understand two minute videos. Check them out at lytei.com. And welcome back. Josh and I were just catching up a little bit more over the break about the essence of what it means to see something virtually in a space and how when you look at a luminaire, it really does help kind of finalize the design. Josh, just talk to me a little bit more about you know what the virtual space means today and how that might have an opportunity to replace what we've done for so many years, which is physically get something and hold it in our hands.
1: Sure. Sure so there's a lot of uh variation in what's available today and you know we can look at today and then we can look at you know probably not very far from now um and i'm not even gonna predict the time because it's gonna be
0: not very far from now could quite literally be 18 months from
1: now um yeah i would call it like uh, well here's an example of just a time frame This time last year, it's amazing what I was doing. I was literally doing more or less 360 photos and calling it VR. And within a 12 month period, we're walking around picking up virtual fixtures and connecting them together and installing things. So it's like, it's a significant leaps and bounds in a very short amount of time. And it's it's moving so fast that I'm, I'm afraid to predict anything because almost anything I say will be instantly outdated. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I'll have to be careful with that. So
0: define that just a little bit. I mean, what's what's a 360
1: photo? What's, what is, what's a virtual walking around and picking things up like? Sure, sure. So in the earlier days, a lot of times people were putting, uh, earlier days as in 12 months ago, people were taking their phones and putting them in uh, these uh, headset type devices, or there's things like the Oculus Go, which was pretty much a screen that had uh, a gyroscope of some sort It was a single point in space and you're literally looking in a sphere. So your head's just rotating all around a sphere, but you can't actually walk around that sphere. So you could get very nice, high quality uh, renderings, but the sense of immersion and and object permanence wasn't really quite there because as you moved, nothing moved with you. Today, when we talk about picking up things, uh, there's the biggest difference between uh, three degrees of freedom and six degrees of freedom. Three degrees of freedom is, is that kind of 360 photo look where you're literally just able to rotate around your single head. Whereas your six degrees of freedom is is you're actually able to walk around and move around and pick things up. And and say if there's a cube in front of you and you moved your head, you actually have the ability to see behind the cube. There's a huge thing that happens in your brain when you're able to actually look past something or look around something. Your brain, sees that even if it's a cartoon object, cartoon cube, for example, it will, it sees it as an actual object and it will remember it as an actual object. And as opposed to just being an image of something, which is really great. So we've kind of transitioned a little bit from trying to be hyper-realistic, but not quite having that sense of immersion to being really immersive. And you kind of tone down the, the, the realism part of it from a rendering perspective, we'll say, but it gives you a, a, an amazing sense of place and space and object permanence, which will in and kind of enhance your understanding of what you're looking at as we look at the the broad scope of where we are right now so there's a wide range of acronyms out there alphabet realities <laughs> we we'll call them yeah um where you have augmented reality ar Virtual reality, VR, mixed reality, MR, and XR, which I'm not sure what the X actually stands for. But it's everything. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's it, the it, X factor. It, it's a, it exactly. It kind of pulls in all the things. And so you hear all these things and some of it has been kind of this uh, marketing evolution where, you know, well, our AR is different. So we're going to call it M- MR or something like that. So some of it's marketing, but really AR today that's accessible to most people is the type you see on your phone where it is using the camera to scan a space get some basic geometry of what what it is and then bring an object into that space and so you're kind of the, the user interface is a little bit disconnected cuz you're kind of looking through your phone to the space that you're in. So your field of view is quite small. So, you know, it's not quite immersive, but it gives you a really good idea of, uh, the 3D geometry of that object and your space. So, so it gives you a really good sense of scale. It's not quite immersive. You're not quite being transported and inspired
0: yet. I've got to stop. And we've got to define immersive because, (laughs) you know, for everybody listening, Josh put a a VR headset on me right before we sat down and record this podcast. Mm. I'd never put one in my life. I had no clue what to expect. And I was standing in a eight by 10 room and I literally felt, and my brain told me I was in a 50 by 50 space. Thankfully I didn't walk too far because I would have knocked my (laughs) head into a a tripod or a stand or something like that. But just define immersive for us.
1: Really immersion. um, And and kind of, we, we've been talking about, and, and then when we talk about, and this kind of goes to the virtual reality aspect of things, We talk about actually creating a whole new environment and it's more of an experience. So I am bringing a place to you and when you put it on, you are transported to that place. And that really changes how we think about um, understanding things and how we take them in. So when you're immersed, the full immersion is your your brain thinks you're in that space. Um, There's a lot of really great things that happens. Um, and it triggers some other parts of your brain with it when it comes to memory. So now when you know, we were talking a little bit earlier, it's like you put that on and now instead of thinking of, oh, I saw that space in a picture or whatever and you might barely remember what it looks like, but you actually remember being in that space and you remember where things were, where shelves were, where the desks were and you actually, uh, you're, it just opens up all these new avenues of, of memory and understanding, which is really great. And when it comes to lighting, I think a lot of times, Sometimes we talk about looking at samples and stuff like that looking at one fixture is really great to understand a few things uh, the scale what the lights doing the near field condition when you hold it up next to a wall stuff like that but really the you really you need to have it in the ceiling and then you need to have a bunch of them in the ceiling and to, to really truly understand how the impact of that particular fixture in the space uh, Uh, influences how you feel about the space and that's where the immersion comes in where you're actually in the space fully immersed and and you have and and can you can see multiples of something to to truly understand what it's like
0: because today the best we can do and this is still pretty good is we can create a floor plan we can create an RCP you can drop lights in space and you can even start to model that for photometric purposes but also um, maybe on a grayscale maybe with some finishes and and render it to look at dynamic contrast to look at what the space might look like at a specific moment at a specific time with specific conditions modeling somewhat the reality of the the luminaire that's not how we live that's not how we walk through life that's not how we walk through spaces mm-hmm. so that's That's what's pushing this VR concept into the architectural space, maybe architectural design as a whole, we might say. Mm -hmm. What's happening that is allowing virtual reality concept, this software, this technology to even be a conversation that you and I are talking about today?
1: So uh, a lot of it begins with... Architectural visualization, which is which is a lot of what people have been doing to help visualize a set of architecture to almost make it look photorealistic. But in the end, a lot of times they're modeling these complete environments. You know, when you look at the available software, when it comes to that they like like Revit. Revit is is foundationally meant to allow you to build a building. It's not really trying to make it look the like the best thing you've ever seen. Yes, it does help. It does have some visualization aspects to it and stuff. But really, it's help. It's gonna. Its goal is to help you build that building and build it right and do all the things that we do uh, in the construction industry to to create actual things. Where some new players come into into the, this world is the gaming industry. You start to see some people like uh, Unity and Unreal Engine, and normally stuff that are associated with video games and their goal is to help create that interactivity pretty much how does something react when you interact with it how does it change over time and giving you all of that that control and functionality so actually about a year ago where at the aia unity and unreal engine had a big influence they had a big booth and they were really showing how they're integrated with revit so you can bring in all your revit stuff and now you can apply some game engine Mechanics to it, um, and walk through your space and open doors and, and stuff like that, which is uh, which which is a whole new world. We're not really used to interacting with game engine companies. We don't make video games, but we do make spaces. And, and there's a lot of video games that are making spaces. They make environments for people to experience. They're creating these experiences, and that's that's a little bit about what we're doing as well. Um, we're trying to create these experiences in real life and model them as accurately as possible so you can
0: model it as accurately as possible you can walk through a space but we've still got a fundamental issue of the light is not carpet it's not wood it's it's a dynamic medium Mm -hmm. and we can't just make something photorealistic when it comes to light when it comes to luminaires the photorealistic part has to become something that is not only interactive that we could control in that virtual space, but we also maybe need to consider, like you said, the the luminance of the fixtures or the luminaires and how, how we perceive that. And can you actually walk through a space or create something like that today? Or is that something that you think we're still kind of marching towards?
1: I think... A lot of people will say it's available, but it's going to come at a pretty significant uh, efficiency cost. I think a lot of the the, the fundamental software pieces for, to be used as a design tool. Uh, say, if I'm a line designer, I'm not going to go throwing all my stuff into Unreal Engine or Unity and and use it to visualize things. Yet, I think we're going to we're getting there very quickly, and it probably won't be very long before we start seeing that happen. There, there are people like. Uh, Acuity brands that are investing in kind of some fundamental tool sets as well and and how we can kind of a, a communicate what we want to uh, experiences and stuff like that with our products to others. And that is a worthwhile investment. So there are a lot of things that are super intuitive in real life. And the Renner product that we just launched has... Um, a bunch of these joiners that help our transitions that kind of help uh, you design a fixture through a, throughout a space and on paper or in CAD it's kind of complex and tricky to understand and and put together these things. But in real life, if I grab a fixture and and a joiner of some sort and stick them together, it's a very intuitive motion. So, so to be able to iterate on your designs, I think what's um, the good and bad thing of having this fantastic tool set of parts is that sometimes you go, oh man, I spent all this time doing this one design, but really I wanna do like, a dozen of them and pick the best one. And and the faster I can do that, the better. And, that's, and that was kind of one of the first experiences we went after when it came to interactivity was, let's build a fixture, let's let you build Rena, um, understand how all these parts go together. And you could do many different variations in a very short amount of time to understand how they would work and then translate that to a drawing that would need to be built. What's great about that, and that kind of goes back to our visual part, having a fixture that transitions throughout your space is a highly visual thing. It's, it's, it's not a- as reliant on getting your foot candles right on the work plane. It's more about how this fixture flows through a space and interacts with the adjacent architecture. And being able to see that instantly helps influence a better design for that space.
0: Because lighting is visual. And whether or not it's the Rena, or it's just eight pendants in a space, mm-hmm. or it's a $10,000 pendant, Mm -hmm. that's beautiful and is seven feet in diameter and you want to know what it looks like from the three-story staircase that it's Mm -hmm. going to be alongside. Having that capability and that ability to not only see it, firsthand but you mentioned something super interesting be more efficient in your design because you can create more options talk to me just a little bit about creating those options and being able to vet things on the fly without having to spend as much time and what that
1: might do for design this kind of goes back to one of my earlier comments of trying to communicate things visually um, whether it's an image or whatever but in the end is trying to get you to a decision-making point as fast as possible and what i love about this the rent experience that we made is that it's you get there and it's really fun like you can actually like enjoy doing it you get to explore that design part of your job um and and enjoy it at the same time and then at the same time kind of grow in your ability to design better spaces i think the really great part about what we're kind of coming up on is Design can now, instead of this being like this documentation exercise almost, and you spend a majority of your time documenting what you want to do and then iterating very slowly, you can iterate very quickly and um, and really spend more time doing those aspects that are the better lighting aspects of things, creating better spaces and really focusing on that instead of just documenting it.
0: You know, you've hit the nail on the head and to me, it's all amazing because so much of design is documenting and there's a lot of time that goes into that. And there's a lot of money that's associated with that. And as an industry, we need to continue to find ways to evolve. We need to find ways that if maybe we can't necessarily automate stuff, uh, look at how to become more efficient. And this is almost opening up a completely new door past all of that, which is just experience it on the fly and and let everything come to you from the standpoint of design as a concept may just simply evolve because we can see everything we can feel it, we can hold it, and most importantly, we can remember it we mm. can we can create a true emotional experience right off the bat without ever even walking into the space
1: yeah and that and a lot of that too is getting setting expectations for everyone involved and and i think a lot of times getting if say you show uh, an owner or an end user what their space is going to look like and getting their sign off very quickly instead of having to iterate many times throughout the design process you just save yourself a, a ton of time and you're getting better results it's very exciting to kind of think about that future
0: well i tell you what josh this has been a really awesome conversation and it's it's insightful to think about how we can save time and increase our results and surprise, let technology do some of that for us. It'd be great to catch up with you just a little bit more, maybe in another episode, and we can chat specifically about how the challenges of lighting in AR and XR and VR will be addressed and they can be accomplished. And like you said, not a lot of time. What do you think? Sounds great. All right, we'll talk to you soon, Josh, thanks. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick. If you enjoyed this episode of the light pod, do me a favor. Go back to the app that you follow or listen to this podcast on and click that like or subscribe button. Until next time. See ya.